Kids, if you're listening out there, uh, I want to say something to you uh, specifically, and so I hope you'll tune in. Kids, isn't it right that you get a bad rap sometimes? You get a bad reputation, a bad reputation for being bad at waiting for stuff. You have a reputation for being impatient, butting into conversations when your parents are trying to talk to their friends, demanding that you get ice cream now. But kids, you know what? I think grown-ups have forgotten what it's like to be a kid and how, as kids, you have to wait on your parents all the time. And your parents are the ones who make all the decisions. They're the ones who are in control. They're the ones who call the shots and tell you what to do, when to do, and how you're supposed to do it. And you kids have to constantly ask, can I play video games now? Can I have a soda now? Can I have some candy now? Can I watch TV now? Can I go outside and play now? Can I uh, call my friend now? Are we done with dinner yet? Can I leave the dinner table yet? You know what? I don't think grown-ups would like that very much if they had to ask permission to do everything in their life. And that's essentially what you have to do. In fact, grown-ups aren't very good at waiting either. Grown-ups complain about simple things like having to wait in line for a long time. And some grown-ups have had to do a lot of waiting in line recently just to go buy toilet paper and hand sanitizer. And they hate it when they're at the grocery store, even in just in normal times when the person in front of them is like pulling out 6,000 coupons and it's taking forever. And they maybe even roll their eyes and say to the other parent, you see this person over here? You know what that parent means when they say that? It might not sound like they're saying anything bad, but what they're saying is like, what is this stupid person doing pulling out all these stupid coupons? Why can they move it along already? You see, grown-ups don't like waiting either. In today's passage and in today's message, kids, we're gonna, we're gonna be taught by God four very simple things that we are to pray when we are feeling down, when we're feeling nervous because things are so different and and we're just waiting for things to go back to normal. And a lot of people are feeling down right now with the coronavirus, and maybe you kids are feeling down. Everything seems not normal. So the four simple things I want you to remember to pray when you're having a hard time waiting, when you're feeling nervous, when you're feeling down, are these four things, okay? They're very easy to remember. Help me, forgive me, I wait with hope, and hope with me. Help me, forgive me, I wait with hope, and hope with me. In times of waiting, I hope that you'll be able to remember these four simple things to pray to God. And so kids, I hope you keep listening, but that's a specific word I wanted to give to you, and I hope the grown-ups heard it too, and maybe God even convicted them with their waiting. But I hope that today what we'll see is that we are to wait with hope. That's the main idea today is that we are to wait with hope. This psalm that we read just a few minutes ago, Psalm 130, is what we call a penitential psalm, which is a big word to say, uh, a psalm, a song we sing to say we're sorry to God, a psalm of repentance, as we would say. And so I'm just going to run through quickly the verses here, um, and there's just four sections. The first section, verse 1 through 2, is this idea of help me. And verse 1 says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And one commentator says this, the word depths, names the chaotic forces that confront human life with destruction, devastation, and depth, and regularly symbolized by water. This follows this theme in Scripture that often the deep waters 
are this symbol of chaos. And the psalmist is crying out to God from the watery abyss of despair, just like Jonah did when he was in, in, the, in the depths, in the belly of, 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 the whale, of the big fish. And this cry is, is for mercy because of something wrong that the psalmist knew that he had done. And, and the misery that surrounds the circumstances and the misery that even comes as a consequence of his, his sin. And he goes on to cry out, forgive me, in verses 3, 3 through 4. And verse 4 says this, and I really love this. It says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I don't even notice the really interesting contrast there, but with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared, may be feared. Often when we think of fearing the Lord, which is another way of saying revering the Lord, that we revere him for his power, for his knowledge, for his goodness, for his, his holiness. But here the psalmist says we revere God for his forgiveness. We fear him because of his forgiveness. This is the beauty of the gospel that we aren't just in awe of him because he's this big God, this holy God, this powerful God. God doesn't just hammer us into submission. He woos us with his love and his forgiveness. And so we revere him because of his forgiveness. And so the psalmist moves on to say, I wait with hope in verses five through six. And I'm gonna read it again because this, these two verses may be ones that you need to say again and again in these times. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Notice the repetition of the word wait. And here, really, the word wait is even a synonym for hope because when we translate the word for wait here, it is very similar in meaning to the word hope. And so it really has this idea of not just waiting, but waiting with hope. And so if you think of the psalmist, this deliverance from sin's guilt is immediate. It's declared to the psalmist that he is forgiven. But deliverance from sin's consequences is not always uh, immediate and can often take time. And so there may involve a waiting, a waiting with hope, knowing that the guilt has been taken and yet this still requires a deliverance from the circumstances and the consequences and the misery that can come from, from, from our own brokenness, from brokenness in this world. And he makes this, he, he conjures up this imagery of, of the watchman at night who is on guard, maybe at the top of a tower or the top of, of a fort, and he's, he's waiting for morning to come. Does the watchman doubt that morning will come? No, of course not. Maybe the watchman longs for the morning. Maybe the watchman is even really tired and can barely stay awake. Maybe he's, he's so tired he's in pain. Maybe you've been that tired before where you know you have to stay awake. Maybe you're driving at the wheel of the car through the night and you're so tired it feels painful. But the watchman knows with great confidence and hope that the morning will come. He is waiting for the sun to rise, knowing that the sun will rise. That is the kind of waiting with hope that God calls us to, that assures the sun will rise each and every day, that the light of God's deliverance will shine upon us. 
And yes, we know that in these times, we, we're not sure what that deliverance looks like. We are not guaranteed safety and that there is suffering in this broken world. And yet God promises that in his great purposes that he will deliver us. Maybe it is this is ultimate deliverance from the brokenness of this world, a world that is ravaged by all kinds of viruses, including the virus of our own sin and brokenness. But he calls us to wait with hope. And so I want to ask you, just as an application, this idea of waiting with hope for the Lord. How do you do waiting on the Lord? Sometimes when we're faced with uncertainty, or just straight up despair, we can turn to three very familiar friends. We can turn to numbing ourselves, we can turn to distance, uh, distracting ourselves, and we can turn to scapegoating others. All of these can be forms of trying to find control in the midst of uncertainty. It's as if we're saying, if God won't soothe us by taking COVID away, then we will soothe ourselves by cutting or by turning to drugs or by overeating. There's concern that those who struggle with drug addiction, even those who have put it behind them, that in a time like this, where they're so isolated and away from their, their, their usual uh, st- structures and, and support, that there's this possibility that many will relapse. And maybe you're not someone who struggles with drugs, but what is the very familiar thing that you go to to numb yourself? Maybe you're relapsing in that way. If God, it's as if we're saying amidst the uncertainty, if God won't make life good by taking COVID away, then we will distract ourselves by um, binge watching TV or shopping online. Or we're saying if God won't make things right by taking COVID away, then we will make sure that we find out who is to blame and make a scapegoat for the global pandemic. I mean, just a very quick word that's, personal for me, I mean, surely the, the, the Chinese government has to take responsibility uh, for their part in the global pandemic, and yet certainly the virus is not under their control. But we see in our own country that it is scapegoating, plain and simple, when we see the dramatic rise of discrimination against Asian Americans here during this pandemic. Asian Americans have reported just this incredible rise of, of discrimination being coughed on or spat upon and being told to leave stores, Uber and Lyft drivers refusing to pick them up, receiving verbal and online harassment and even physical assault. People want someone to blame and it seems easy to blame Asians in general. It's as if they might be saying, well, I don't have access to the Chinese president Xi Jinping, so I guess this random Korean American will do since they all look alike and they're all the same. We want to find a scapegoat. It gives us a sense of control over the uncertainty. It makes us feel better to know where to point the blame. What are you prone to? Are you prone to to numbing yourself, to distracting, to scapegoating? But let me say very clearly, neither numbing nor distracting nor scapegoating will take away the pain of waiting in the midst of uncertainty and anxiety. Some of the things I said earlier are not necessarily bad things, but if the heart motivation is try to regain a sense of control that we never had and never will have, then we sabotage ourselves. We have to leave to God what is in his hands to control and practice self-control, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, in ways that we do have control.
And here's the central spiritual formation question and point. When we leave to God what is his to control and don't, don't seek to, to gain a sense of false control, then we open up the possibility of bringing our anxiety, our fears, our grief, our pain to God. Let me say this again. When we leave to God what is his to control and don't seek to gain a sense of false control, then we open up the possibility of bringing our anxiety, our fear, our grief, our pain to God. This is how we wait upon God with hope. Let me say self-care is good, and you might have been given a lot of advice right now to make sure you practice self-care, and I encourage that. And self-care is not selfishness, but like everything, self-care can be abused. I don't know if you guys watch the sitcom Parks and Rec. Um, There are two characters named Tom and Donna who once a year have what they call a treat yourself day. It's a day, they say, to pamper themselves, to do, to buy, to treat themselves to whatever they want. And one of the lines in this, uh, an episode, they, there's kind of this interaction be- between them. They say, clothes, treat yourself. Massages, treat yourself. Fine leather goods, treat yourself. I think treat yourself is self-care gone a bit too far. In the midst of uncertainty and even despair, we must turn to the Lord the forgiving and gracious God who is in control of all things, who promises to work things out for the good of those who loving. Binge-watching Netflix, scrolling through Facebook, shopping online on Amazon, they're all fine. But is that what your soul needs in the midst of fear and anxiety and grief? Feelings of grief over real loss in the face of COVID? feelings of stress of adjusting to having the kids around all day or your normal schedule taken away or your loved ones at the front lines of caring for those in need? Clearly, it's a rhetorical question. No, that is not what your soul needs in its essence. Your soul needs so much more. And so self-care for Christians has to go a step further. There has to be, maybe reframe it, rename it as, as God care. What can you do that fills your soul in such a way that it is unmistakably from God? Certainly there's the obvious things like spend time in prayer, spend time in the word, spend time having spiritual conversations with others. But it doesn't have to be just the really obvious things. It could be something like going for a walk in nature with good social distancing and just talking to God, seeing the beauty of God's creation. It could be playing a favorite instrument, again, in isolation, and just seeing the beauty of music and letting it speak to your soul, recognizing it's from God. I know for me, just driving to church today, I listened to this song by Coldplay called Yellow, which for whatever reason moves my soul. I don't even know what they're singing. Half of the songs at Coldplay write, I don't know what they're talking about. It's really poetic, and yet somehow it moves me and it points me to beauty. And when I feel and hear beauty, I think of God and I worship God. 
What is that for you? How can you be pointed to beauty, to recognize that that beauty is from God? Perhaps God care for you is an extra long cuddle with your child, remembering the gift of God that your child is. Perhaps it's just a meaning conversation with a friend or family member or a neighbor. Really, the options are endless. Anything where you may see the hand of God in. All it requires is courage to engage your heart more deeply, a curiosity to imagine something different than the most mundane and obvious forms of self-care, and a willingness to invite God into that, a willingness to go deeper and beyond the surface of your heart. Netflix and Facebook and Amazon is fine. It will scratch that itch of self-care, but your soul needs so much more. Go deeper into your heart with the Lord and wait with hope for the Lord. Just one last word in the last two verses. This message of hope with me. The psalmist is inviting Israel to hope with him. Verse seven says, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. And I want to read you several other translations for this second clause because such a beautiful idea. Another translation says, and with him is full redemption. Another translation says, his redemption overflows. Another translation says, and with him is abundant redemption. And then another translation says, and with him is great power to redeem. We see we have this invitation that we can make to others to hope with us because of the fullness and abundance and the plentifulness of God's redemption. And when, he, when the psalmist says iniquities here, that God is a God who forgives our iniquities and redeems our iniquities, it involves three things. It, rede- it involves, yes, our sins. It, it involves the guilt of our sin, but it also involves the misery that comes with sin in general. Perhaps our particular sin, but the sins of the world. God delivers from all three things from the power of sin in our lives, from the guilt of sin in our lives, and from the misery of sin in our lives. And so this can't just be individualistic, where it's just us finding hope in God and being comforted by it. It has to involve our church community. It has to involve our wider community, where when we have experienced the hope of God in the midst of anxiety and despair, that we invite others to hope with us because it makes that hope so much more rich that we share it with others. So I call you to hope in God with me. Do you know someone right now who is in the depths because of all this fear and anxiety? Call them and invite them to hope with you. Do you know someone who is in the depths because they don't know the Lord at all and they are in the depths. They are literally without a sense of hope because they don't know the Lord and the hope that comes from the Lord. Call them, talk with them, pray for an opportunity that, the God, that God would open the door of opportunity for you to share that hope with them. Share your fears with them and share with them how the Lord meets you in the midst of those fears. How God is a God who is ready and willing always to come and deliver us from the despair that we feel from the brokenness of this world. Invite them to hope with you. And I hope this week for you, 
that you will wait with hope. Let us pray.